Welcome to the Velo News Podcast. What a week, hoodie. It's only been uh, three days since the last time we put a podcast up, our, our emergency Peter Sagan podcast. If you missed that, I recommend heading back to it. I'm Kaylee Fretz, senior editor here at Valenews, sitting around the table from none other than Euro Hoodie, Andrew Hood. Hoodie, provide some scene for us here this fine French evening. What, what a week indeed. It, it feels like... Uh, it feels like a long time ago that we left Dusseldorf, I have to say. <laughs> but now we are actually now in deep France. Deep we're, France. We're in France profonde. And uh, we're sitting here at a nice terrace. It's a, a nice truck stop that we found here <laughs> just south of Dole. And wonderful dinner tonight. We, you know, we got one of those lucky nights. You know, the stars aligned. And we've had a wonderful dinner, some great local wine, some local uh, friendly locals have been uh, mm-hmm. helping us out. And, uh, you know, here we are. You heard one of them at the start there. <laughs> we did. We have heard one of the start, mm-hmm. indeed. So we are now a week into this tour. Uh, Chris Froome is in the driver's seat in the yellow jersey. No team but Team Sky has had the yellow jersey thus far, this Tour de France. And we're going to talk a little bit later about how they may actually hold on to it the entire race, which would be, uh, well, that hasn't happened in, in some time. We obviously have the Sagan story. Maybe we should start there, because that's where we finished off in the last episode, our special episode. What's the latest, Hoodie? What's the latest on Peter Sagan? We've heard some Cass things and, and a couple other updates. Well, what do we I got think, going on? I think the most interesting thing about the Sagan scandal, the Sagan tale, Sagan gate, whatever you want to call it, strolled by the Bora uh, Hansgrohe bus this morning, and whose bike is right there in the front row? It's uh, number 111. Peter Sagan specialized bike beautiful bike by the way lovely bike <laughs> lovely bike and uh, it's just sitting there it's kind of a it's a protest it's it's a it's a it's a sign of anger it's a sign of uh, you know will he come back he's not coming back unfortunately <laughs> can't for this go back tour at this point no can't go back at this tour but uh, that that's really been the talking point ever since Tuesday so his team Bora Hansgrohe they went to CAS which is the Court of Arbitration of Sport Court for arbitration of sport, uh, a court in Switzerland, which is sort of the last stop for any uh, any dispute within the sporting world. So doping cases often end up at CAS. Uh, they got a rush judgment on a petition to get Peter Sagan back into the race. This was this still would have been after missing one stage. So I'm not entirely sure what they thought was going to happen if they won, but. They tried anyway. Bora Hansgrove sent in a petition to Cass, <laughs> made an effort. Cass came back and said, sorry, we stick with the original jury decision. Uh, Peter Sagan is still out of the bike race. But what what could have happened here had it gone the other direction? I mean, is there any chance that Peter Sagan could have come back into the tour? Uh, there was no chance at all. 
um, cast is kind of it's like uh, it's like the Supreme Court of sports. It's like uh, <laughs> the nine men in black robes and women in black robes. But in this case, it's three kind of guys sitting at a tribunal. Um, they they do adjudicate all these kind of big stories that come out of uh, sports, the Olympics, uh, you know, soccer, football. A lot of the doping cases have gone through cast. Of course, Tyler Hamilton and some of those other cases. But this was unprecedented, really, uh, to to challenge a jury ruling. Uh, I can I cannot recollect any time it's ever happened since CAS was even formed twenty years ago or so. I think this is actually the first time someone's even tried to challenge a, a jury decision in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a stage like the Tour de France. And uh, you know, you were digging through the rules there, Kaylee, and said that uh, you can't even appeal a, a jury ruling only if. The, the fine is over 200 Swiss francs and that's exactly <laughs> what they set it at and uh, yeah I think that they were doing it protesting the cast almost out of just to make a statement I think that they knew they weren't going to win but they just wanted to make a point yeah I mean I think it was as much a PR stunt as, as anything really as you said the rules the UCI rules stipulate that you can't appeal a jury decision unless you've been fined more than 200 Swiss francs that's essentially in case they hand you a huge fine you have a, a method of appealing that huge fine they do not tack other penalties so disqualification for example on top of that 200 Swiss francs it's just the number 200 Swiss francs happens to be the penalty that's also in the rule book for uh, dangerous sprinting. <laughs> so that is the that is what Peter Sagan was handed, and there was no formal right of appeal to the jury, to the UCI jury in that particular case. Again, I I'm with you. I think that this cast decision was essentially. Yeah, it was essentially a publicity stunt. You know, at that point, they might as well give it a go. You know, I'm sure they have a lawyer on retainer somewhere who can draft up. Uh, well, I think it was also <laughs> draft up a protest. I think it was also uh, just an expression of their frustration and anger that they felt that they were wronged. They had to do something, right? I mean, they they protested to the to the race jury. There's no real protocol for that. They you know they tried to make a protest, perhaps to ASO and the Tour de France organization. They just said, "It's not our problem. It's the jury. <laughs> it's also not so, their decision." Yeah. Yeah. So it, I think they just said, you know, this is this is a injustice. Peter Sagan should not be out of this race. Peter Sagan should be in the in the tour from their point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only thing they felt that they could do. Yeah, really, really no other options at that point. Uh, well, where does this leave us? This leaves us with a green jersey competition that is now all of a sudden wide open. And we've seen, well, we've seen some conspiracy theories floating around to the effect of the French trying to get rid of uh, Peter Sagan and Mark Cavendish so that Arnaud Demar could take the green jersey. Uh, let's just let's just quash that rumor let's right now. Put that to rest. Let's put that one to rest. That might have happened, uh, you know, back in the day, a couple <laughs> years ago. It might have happened. These days, uh, not so much. One of the one of the major issues with that particular theory is the fact that uh, the ASO is not the jury. The, the jury is a UCI body uh, and the jury is, is headed by a Belgian, not a French man. I think it's uh, important. And, and I think it's bad for the it's bad for the bike race to have Peter Sagan and Mark Cavendish out of this race. And I think there's no plausible reason why ASO would want two of their stars gone from, yeah. from the race. Yeah. Talk about uh, commercial suicide to kick out <laughs> the two biggest stars, especially in what's been called, you know, a sprinters tour. We've got eight stages, maybe more for sprinters. You know, the last thing an organization wants to do is kick out two of the biggest stars in the Peloton, just so a French guy might win. Right. Uh, today, Marcel Kills now in green. So, so that conspiracy theory, I think, was a—I mean, it's just an outrageous it's just reach. Silly. And I think it's important to point out too the uh, the integrity, really, of the of the race jury and how that even works. I think a lot of people really don't quite even know 
Uh, but the man leading it is this guy named uh, Philippe Mariani. He's, he, he's, he's one of these guys who's been around the sport for years. I mean, even Mark Cavendish, in his comments, uh, he said, you know, Marianne's kicked him out of the races before, but Mark Cavendish has utmost respect for him. And, and I heard that even from the Bora camp as well. Um, this idea that somehow there's this uh, behind-the-scenes deal because Dimension Data is a sponsor of the Tour de France, and they were conniving to get rid of Sagan so DeMar can win. Bah! <laughs> bah! Bah! Uh, that, we think that's nonsense. Actually, we don't think. We're, we're pretty sure that's nonsense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, he's definitely a respected figure. When we were walking around the paddock the next morning, we chatted with a whole bunch of riders, a whole bunch of directors. Uh, everybody said that they respected the decision, even if they mm. disagreed with it, and I think that's a really important point. But let's get back to where we are now. Again, we have Marcel Kittle in the green jersey. We have still a ton of sprint stages ahead of us. This is a very sprint-heavy Tour de France. Uh, there is... I was speaking with a German colleague at uh, on the, at the press buffet today. Uh, as you do. As you do. <laughs> and Felix, my friend, said, uh, said he thinks that Marcel will now take six stages in this Tour de France. He has three now. Uh, and there is room for three more. So I, th- I think that I think that we are well on our way mm. to a a Kittle, well, not a sweep, but close to a sweep of uh, Tour de France sprint stages. I don't I don't see Marcel coming out of the mountains as fresh as he's coming into them. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, we have saw Demar already uh, won that first sprint. Um, after uh, after the in stage two, Demar won that first bunch sprint or the second bunch sprint, and I think that uh, I think you're you know I mean today photo finish to uh, Edvald, you still have a whole bunch of other guys who want to try to win a stage. Matthews, uh, Greipel who's won a stage, and every Grand Tour he started since like 2006 <laughs> or maybe in 2011. I think since the forever, since forever. <laughs> um, I don't think he's going to win six, but the way it's looking now, the big big difference now is that. Sagan and Cavendish aren't there to beat him. So who's going to beat him? I think he might. Think, he could. He could win six. He could win five. He could win eight. Who knows? <laughs> I think six might be the maximum. Six, <laughs> given, the maximum. given given what the stages that we have remaining. I, I, there are a couple sort of Sagan esque stages that are now mm. up for grabs, which is uh, an interesting thing. I think that Arnaud Demar is actually maybe one of the more versatile of the very fast sprinters. Uh, Michael Matthews, another one. Michael Matthews is definitely sort of teed up for a stage win with Sagan gone. I think the important point here, though, is that the green jersey competition for the first time in five, six years is now open. It has it has effectively been closed because mm. if Peter Sagan wanted to win the green jersey, he was going to win the green jersey. There was very little way around that because even if he didn't win a bunch of stages, he was going to be third in like nine of them. So... At this point, we are finally looking at a real battle for the green jersey, which, I, you know, if we're going to look for the the silver lining on the cloud. Sunny of the, side. Yeah, the sunny side uh, of, the, of the, the cloud of Peter Sagan getting removed from the race, that is it. And, and it's not necessarily that, uh, that we're happy about that, but at least if we're going to stay optimistic, we at least have a, a good green jersey competition coming our way. I have to say though, we do bit we do miss a big narrative of of going into this tour because on the on the GC side, you know, Sky and Froome look to be firmly in control, and that could change this weekend, obviously. But the two big stories going through this tour were Sagan equaling the Zabel's sixth green jersey and Cavendish trying to get 
as close as he could to Merckx's 34. He's at 30. And that's just gone. That's why everyone's been so upset. These long, boring stages we've had the last couple of days. So boring. There's nothing really to talk about. <laughs> so everyone's just been churning on Sagan, haven't they? Yep. Uh, I, it was, today was pretty boring as well, actually. I, was, I, I have to admit, you know, we come into the press room. So we go to the starts every day. Uh, we you know we walk around we chat with people we, we get the interviews for this podcast we get interviews for our stories we hop in the car right around the start get to the finish a couple hours before the guys come across the TVs are playing in the press room that does not mean that we're watching them I was <laughs> I was not really watching any of the Tour de France today and I'm gonna guess that a lot of our listeners out there are exactly the same way there really wasn't much going on until. Well, a couple K to go. It, it was kind of a, it was a tricky finish, a bit of an uphill finish that you could definitely see on Kittle's face at the end that it was a very hard finish. And the fact that Edval Bosnagen was up so far mm. proves that it was not a traditional bunch sprint, uh, but still bit boring. Yeah, I mean, these these 220 stages back-to-back, there was uh, a lot of comments, you know, do these stages need to be this long? And it could be, like I think Froome said, well, more than several people said, take away 50Ks of the race and you basically get the same result. Uh, there was, you know, there's a lot of different ideas floating around. I wrote a story about it in the villainews.com uh, just kind of on that issue in the sense of do we need these monster long stages? And I asked a few people at the start today, got some interesting answers and uh, we have one grab here from Charlie Wigelius. Do these long stages belong in modern cycling or is it just simply part of what the Tour de France has always been? I think... Um if you look short term on the immediate stage, it doesn't add anything to it. Uh, but it's a part of cycling, and it's a part of the attraction of cycling is the endurance and the, you know, the extreme nature of the sport. And that's what people, you know, in non-cycling countries like Finland, for example, are so impressed about the fact that the guys ride 230 kilometers. And you know, even if it, <coughs> sorry, even if it doesn't overtly have an effect today at some stage at some mountain somewhere down the road a GC rider or a stage contender is just going to sit down on his saddle and give in and there may be something in these stages that has a part in that so dealing with endurance and dealing with these stages in the heat it's part of uh, being a Tour de France cyclist and I think that uh, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the guy who wins the race should be the best cyclist in the race, you know? So he should be expected to be able to do everything, which is also riding, you know, six hours and 40 degrees temperature. For the spectacle, you could argue that the shorter stages are more exciting. Because like yesterday, I think even Chris Froome said, 50K shorter, you get the same result. And you saw the Dauphiné or the Tour, or these short 110K stages in the mountains, everything just goes out from the gun. When it's 220, everyone just waits. Uh, yeah, there can be an element of that. Um, but a lot of that stuff can also be counterintuitive, you know. Um, you had a similar argument about, you know, really steep climbs as well, but they would add something, but then you realize that the, the gaps just kind of hold together. So I think that the organizers have to do the right thing to put the, the chance there. But ultimately, it's about how the teams and the riders interpret the race. You saw that the other day when, when the break got close and Thomas de Gent mixed the cards up again. You know, that wasn't written on paper. It was just through the, the riders being creative. 
just as a reminder, a lot of the things that we do talk about on this podcast uh, end up also elsewhere on the internet. You can always head to velonews.com and check those things out. Uh, as Hoodie said, he wrote a story today about, about these long stages. You know, I, one last point on this. I do think that the, the Tour de France, yes, they're trying some things. They're trying this, you know, this very short 101-kilometer stage to Foix, stage 13. That said... You know this this race started as a tour of France. That that is the that's the translation. Uh, not that it takes much translating. It, I do think that there's something to be said for you know loosely connecting most of the route, most of the way around. There are definitely some big transfers this this year, but you know if I think if you start if you start doing more driving than riding to get yourself around France, I think it you know, it loses a little bit of its luster. I do think that they the the race could still do some things to spice up these stages you know you were talking earlier hoodie about you know awarding a best young rider every day for example you know getting guys to really want to sprint if it gets them up on the podium even if they don't win a stage things like that that could sort of add a little bit of dynamism to these stages get guys going out and breakaways and things like that nonetheless there's really no getting around that a flat stage is never going to be all that exciting so (laughs) With that said, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> let's talk about less flat stages. We got we got two big ones coming up this weekend. Uh, we got Stasian de Roos on Saturday. We have a big, lumpy, well, more than lumpy, mountainous, uh, shot etc. stage on Sunday. Chris Froome has said that this Sunday stage is a big deal. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a big deal for the GC. What are we looking at? What 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 are we what are we looking forward to this weekend, hoodie? I think I think this weekend is going to be the real uh, separation in, in the GC picture. Uh, it's still knotted up. I think we have eleven guys coming into this weekend within a minute of each other. That will not be the case Sunday evening in Chambéry. Um, I think we'll see really who has the legs to try to take it to Froome. I think we've seen already a few hints of that uh, with Aru, Dan Martin, Port. Uh, then we'll, I think we'll have a real good sense of if Contador, guys like uh, Quintana. Quintana, are they up to the up to the challenge? I mean, Froome said um, the GC is not going to be finished this weekend. Of course not. Alberto Contador said that Sunday's stage is the hardest stage in this year's Tour de France. So, ojo, as they say in Spanish, <laughs> it is a big one. It's it's sort of bigger than it seems, and, and a lot of the climbs are actually quite steep on Sunday. Three, three HCs. Yeah, three HCs. It's it's a wow. So not really bigger than it seems. It is big. It looks big. It is big. I I actually I'm going I'm going to take a slightly different tack here, hoodie, and say that I actually think that this weekend might do less to the overall than we think it will and i think that is very much by design so when i look at this course i see a course that the aso is trying to uh they're trying to keep the gc as tight as possible for as long as possible and i'm not necessarily sure that that's a a good thing i i think that it's because they have seen riders sort of run away with the race from the first major mountain stage in the past couple years um but because the, so we have Stuchin de Roos, which is big climb, and then kind of like flat rolling for actually quite a long time. So likely into a headwind. So I think that that is likely to come back together to some extent. Uh, you know, a solo rider is going to struggle across the the big long flat on Saturday at the finish, and then Sunday is is a, is a big downhill into the finish. Uh, 
So we may see gaps, but I don't think they're going to be as big as some are expecting. I'm still looking to the the double uh, stage 12 and 13, the second of which is that very short foie stage. And I'm also looking also uh, at the Isward later in the race as sort of the big ones for me. I think that after this weekend, we will knock a couple guys out of that, you know, within a minute mm. club. Uh, maybe we go from I think it was eleven. Maybe we go down to you know six or I something. I think we like go that. down to six, five or six, yeah, five or six. Uh, still, that's five or six guys within a minute. So it's it's but you know it's far from over. Chris Froome said that in the press conference this afternoon. You know he is very much looking to guys like Fabio Aru and Richie Port, but he also mentioned the fact that you know, anybody in the top ten is still within striking distance. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with that take. I think that uh, Team Sky, however always wants to take control of a race they want to grab it by the scruff of a neck and just let everyone know that Chris Froome is firmly in control of the race and every year that Froome has won these first big mountain stages has always taken definitive gains I think that uh, I so think does that mean he didn't win on I mean he didn't do that on Plus de Belfi is that, is, that a bad, is that a bad sign for Froome well we'll see I mean, maybe maybe Froome is not in his top form. I think that's when this weekend will actually tell us who is in and has the legs to have a chance to win this tour. But I think Belfi, it's a different kind of race, different kind of uh, style of race. I mean, it was just it's five six Ks. Yeah. I mean, you're looking we're looking at on Sunday three eight Cs. Granted, you're coming off the off the top of the Monshot. It's only I think about twenty so Ks into the finish. So yeah, there could be some guys coming back together. Maybe those three or four or five guys that come in together, there won't be the time difference there, of course. But if but you lost, everyone else is going to be shelled. Yeah, if you lost two minutes on Montechat, you're not bringing that back in the yeah. 20K descent. That, yeah, there's I no think, way that's happening. And I, I just think that uh, the way Sky has always raced all these tours, every year they come into the tour, they build their training programs, everything that they do, tailored to the, how the course is uh, stacked up. And this year, like you said, ASO wants to have it down to the last wire. Every year, ASO wants to have the GC is suspenseful as long as it can be into the last stage, but it almost never really is because one guy <laughs> is always stronger and blows the wheels off everybody. So the big question really will be this weekend, is Froome that guy to blow the wheels off? And if he isn't, then we've got a Tour de France on our hands. Fingers crossed. I we're mean, you know, so. we're, we're not rooting against Froome, but we are rooting for a good bicycle race. So. We're, not, we're not rooting against Froome, but we're rooting against Froome. <laughs> <laughs> so, related to that, there is a distinct possibility that, that Chris Froome slash Team Sky take yellow end-to-end in the Tour de France. Do we, mm. think that's, do we think that's a possibility at this point? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you look at, depending on how much time and, and, the, and the differences they make, I mean, there's a lot of lumpy terrain there in the Pyrenees and in the Massey Central, a lot of days as well, a lot of kilometers that they might let the jersey right away it was it's been interesting in fact uh froome's been saying these last couple of days how they really manage and control the breakaways um what they don't want to do is see a guy who is a potential gc threat ride back into the frame um so anybody that they perceive as someone dangerous they're reeling in however if someone wants to ride away and take the jersey for three five six days whom they don't believe is a threat you know, a Thomas Vogler in his last tour to France or whoever that might be. <laughs> How amazing would that be? How amazing would that be? <laughs> They'll, you know, I don't think they're riding to, to carry it. 
end to end, but it, it's certainly set up that it could be because what's happening on the other side is that other team dynamics are helping Sky. That's why it's been this whole first week of this tour already. Yeah, they've hardly had to pull. And actually, that was another thing that Fru mentioned in the in the press conference today is that they, you know, they may have had yellow, but their guys are still fresh because the Spurs teams have taken control most days, and then and then Wednesday, Planche de Belfi, somewhat inexplicably, BMC really took control. Uh, you know, yes, they were setting up Richie Port. We could tell exactly what they were doing, but it, it's not entirely clear why or how effective that was, what they thought they were going to get out of it. Regardless. Well, there's, 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 there's one, there's one uh, comment bouncing around that, that uh, Okowitz felt like that they were a little bit further back in time than, than uh, on Froome than they wanted to be. And what they want, didn't want to do was see Froome get the time bonus. And they thought that, uh, that you know, you drill it hard, somehow get rid of Froome, Richie and Froome go head to head. But that kind of like backfired on him. But, but <laughs> do, they, do they really think that Damiano Caruso was going to pull hard enough to get rid of Chris, Chris Froome? Is that something they actually thought was going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you have to believe. <laughs> but, the, you know, they're not entirely happy with how the first week's gone at BMC at all. Um, and, uh, and so... BMC is going to be racing in a way that they want to make it a situation where they can finally get Richie and Froome one-on-one. Yeah. And that's where they think that they can actually win the race. But if they can't get rid of Fortress Froome, they know they can't do it. So that's why they're riding hard. They're trying to just like get these guys tired. Because if they don't ride hard now... Dislodge Landa and Hanau. Yeah. And, yeah. But if they don't ride hard now, it'll be too late. Anyway, bit of a tangent there. Bit of a tangent. One last thing on the GC picture before we step into a couple other topics. Fabio Aru, uh, I would just like to remind everybody that I... Actually, I picked Fabio Aru before the race began as, for, for, my, for my yellow jersey in Paris. I was joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was very much just trying to be different, you know, being very hipster about it. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless... It appears now that uh, I had that a, stro- a stroke of a stroke of accidental genius. Uh, Fabio Aru looks like a legitimate contender. Chris Froome said today that Aru is is certainly on his radar and is, is maybe his his primary rival. What do we think of of Aru's form at this point? Yeah, we can under uh, cannot underestimate uh, Aru, and I mean, certainly that sky is the bells are ringing in sky. And what Froome said uh, about how they manage that stage to Belfi. Uh, you know, Aru was quite far back. I think he was 50 seconds or around there. So um, Froome said he made a quick calculation in his mind. Um, they, he expected that he'd have some help reeling Aru back in because he thought that some other guys wanted to win that stage. Didn't get a lot of help from some allies on the road. So perhaps uh, Aru got a, a few extra seconds that, that, that were unexpected and boom. Aru's right, right back in the frame, big time. And, Fourteen you know, seconds down right now. Yeah, yeah, don't underestimate him because you know he's won the Welty. He's twice been on the Giro podium. Last year, he was riding a sixth place GC going into the last mountain stage, and the whole tour fell apart for him. And he said that was like getting a knife in the back, and he he really learned from that lesson. Of course, this year he was supposed to be racing the racing the Giro. Uh, that knee injury kind of kicked him back into the tour, but that might have been a blessing in disguise for him and for everybody watching this race because maybe Aru, especially on this kind of course, he could actually really blow the race wide open, which would be fantastic. I mean, yeah. W- <laughs> I love I love Aru's style. I see him very much in sort of the contador kind of mold. He's definitely not afraid to go for it, uh, and I think that that will be very much to his benefit. 
later in this race. I think if Fuglesang can stay close in particular, that I think we could see Astana really light up uh, some of the, like the short stage later, the foie stage, and then, you know, any, really any of these big climbing stages, I think that Aru is a real threat. Uh, that, that said, he needs a big, pretty big handful of time coming into that 23 kilometer time trial in Marseille on the penultimate stage. He's going to need uh, at least a minute and a half minimum to, uh, to be even remotely comfortable going up against Chris Froome and, and taking a minute and a half in the few remaining mountain stages that we have. The few mountain stages period in this Tour de France uh, is going to be a little bit tricky. The final time trial. The final time trial. <laughs> well, I think, I think, you know, I think that's enough of our takes hoodie i think we have some takes coming in from the boulder, boulder? crew boulder takes boulder takes yeah there's so much boulder and boulder aren't there <laughs> <laughs> once again fred dreyer and spencer pallison have filed their hottest of hot takes with us uh sent me over a uh, quick quick bit of audio earlier today i uh, haven't had a chance to listen yet so i won't spoil it for you because i don't know what they said but uh let's listen in Okay, we are back. We're back. Fred Dreyer here with Spencer Paulison. Spencer, how is your Tour de France viewing going so far? Oh, it's been great. I've just been sitting on my couch, just can't even peel me off that thing, getting real swampy. Yeah, I've been uh, checking out the live stream in the office, just so close to the action. I don't care what Kaylee and... Uh, yeah, I say? think we're the ones who really know yeah, what's going on. We in the totally tour. know what's going we, on. You know, got all the TV angles. Oh, we have Twitter feeds too. Oh, Twitter really is the yeah. key. That's, Keeps you updated. Exactly so anyway, we're willing up with uh, hot takes from stages uh, four, five, and six. Oh yeah, let's get to it, Spencer. The, the biggest news story in the tour this year, and I don't know the last few years. Peter Sagan, uh, yep, kicked out of the tour. What are, What are our takes? Fourth of July fireworks, Ugh. man. It was It was insane. I, I feel like. We've kind of put this one through the ringer a few times, yeah. uh, and it's over now. I mean, he's he's gone. He's out of the tour. It's a bummer. I think we can all agree it was the wrong choice. By bad the choice. Bad call. Bad yeah. take. But here we are. You know, they um, the Bora Hansgro team did appeal to cast to try and get Sagan back into the race, which is crazy. I don't even know how that would work. Is it like uh, would they give him a free lap, like in a criterium? Yeah, you know, yeah. if you get a flat yeah. tire or something. You just like Peter Sagan, like the peloton would be rumbling through like stage seven through the middle of the French countryside. Peter Sagan would be just standing on the side of the road with his bike and just, hop, just right in. hop right in. Yeah, yeah, no harm, no foul. I can't imagine why anyone would have a problem with that. Um, here's an idea: what they could have done, they could have let him do what. Um, do you remember 2008 when Rock Racing at the Tour of California had uh, Tyler Hamilton, Santi Botero, and Sevilla? Like they Good. got kicked out of the race because strong riders. Yeah, real strong guys, uh, and they decided to ride the entire course like an hour or two before the route, uh, the Ooh. actual race came through. I like that idea. I think Peter Sagan should do that. That's my take. Yeah. He's he out of the race. Do some cool wheelies and stuff. Yeah. I think the fans would love it. I think they'd love it. I think the tour would not um, love it. Well, the crazy thing is, Fred, that if you go way back in the history books to the very first Tour de France, uh-huh. they actually let riders hop into stages mm. just as one-off races. You didn't have to do the GC. You could just... Come in, you could just come in and race one of the stages midway through and just show up and just destroy everyone because you didn't do the 600-kilometer stage two days prior. So, hey, you know, precedence there. Why not? Just chuck them in the race. Yeah, just let Peter Sagan step into a couple sprint stages, maybe a couple mountainous stages. Maybe just pick, pick a few stages. Or he could, just, he could just put on one of his old bib numbers from last year and just banded it like yeah. people do in marathon races. Well, the decision's been made. He's out. We yeah. both think it's sucky yeah. take. Yeah. We both think it's a sucky decision. I have a take, though, that I want to get my chest here. Okay, okay. I'm an NBA fan, and the whole thing with Peter Sagan reminded me a lot of um, Drake 
Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors during last year's NBA Finals. Are you familiar with this story? No. So throughout the playoffs last year, Draymond Green couldn't stop punching dudes in the nuts. <laughs> he just he just was like addicted to just punching dudes in the dick. Wow. And so after his fourth time punching a guy in the nuts, it happened to be LeBron James during game four of the finals, he got suspended. Now, if you look at the like nut punch that he got suspended for, it was the most benign, like it was like the weakest of all of them. It was just kind of a tap, but it was like the cumulative <laughs> just number. Just there. Yeah, the cumulative number of like dong punches added up to him being suspended. Well, he's lucky he wasn't in baseball because if yeah. it would have been three, he would have been out. You know, That's true. Three, three strikes. Boy, he would have punched situation. a cup and that would have hurt. Uh, anyway, yeah. so Peter Sagan, you know, the uh, the dust up with Cav when we Zapruder filmed it to death doesn't look that bad. But I do wonder if uh, maybe there's some powers that be within the sport of cycling that are seeing this as like a cumulative thing because we have heard through some uh, media reports and from cyclists that Mr. Sagan has like a bit of a history with playing rough and tumble in the pack. I mean, it's to be expected. He's a sprinter. He's like a big, burly dude. But like at Gent Wevelgem this year, we saw that uh, other clip of him just like body checking. Yeah, some poor pro-continental <laughs> guy. Some poor pro-conti like, guy out of the later, way. See you later, pal. And, uh, you know, I've definitely seen a clip or two of Peter Sagan chucking the elbows out and like getting in there. So I wonder if the sport of cycling used this dust up with Cav to Draymond Green all over Peter Sagan. Wow. And just, you know, cumulative nut punches. That's a really relatable take, Fred. I'm yeah, sure a lot of our listeners are just way into NBA gossip like that. Well, so what do we want to get to next with the takes? We got some videos. We have some yeah, like... Yeah, Sagan and Cav both did little like uh, little first-person videos yeah. to sound off after the crash. And Sagan's were, I thought, pretty great because the ultimate sorry, not sorry. Oh, yeah. Where he sort of said, oh, man, I'm really sorry that I got kicked out of the tour. I'm, I'm sorry that Cavendish had to crash himself like that and get really hurt because he made a mistake. Yeah. And, uh, we're friends, and uh, yeah, I'm sorry I have to go back to my home in Monaco. Sorry all you fans are going to be deprived of my amazingness for the rest of the tour. Yeah, yeah real sincere, real sincere. <laughs> um, uh, what about Cavs, though? Yeah, Cavs was... Um, I. I I, I couldn't hear yeah, it. I think yeah, he I was like on an airplane or yeah, something. I did not hear a no. single word he said. He was mumbling. And I think the only the only thing he accomplished with that video was just to show everyone that he can fly around in a Gulf Stream whenever yeah, he wants sure. to. He's got a private jet at his disposal. So I did congratulations get, on the jet, Kev. I will say I did get the point of the video where he's asking people on Twitter to not like just be total jerks to his family yeah. on social media. And hey, I agree with that. Yeah, like, we, don't do that, people. Yeah, yeah be cool. That's lame. Come on, come on be cool. I take. Don't be jerks yeah. to Cavs family on Twitter. Yeah. Well, Fred, I think the last thing on this matter is just that we need to provide some Cat 3 wisdom when oh. it comes to throwing elbows That's true. In, in cycling scenarios, whether it's a race or group ride or whatever. So let's ask a Cat 3. When do you throw some bows? Okay, so Spencer, you want you want to start us off? Yeah, when you know, I like to throw elbows when uh, there's a local pro in the mm-hmm. in the group ride, okay. and, and you just kind of want to you know show them what's up. And be like, hey, I'm a I'm a top cat three, buddy. Watch out, I'm gonna just push you right off this train. Just just to let them know yeah. that that, hey. we're, that you're coming for them. You're been, coming for them. Been doing my intervals this off yeah. season, bro. Been doing them spin intervals. Watch out. Here's an elbow yeah, in your ribs. Exactly. Um, I think uh, a great time. To throw some elbows is, you know, you got like you got like a free pair of socks up for grabs in the next preem of the crit. Yeah, totally S- worth sock it. Sock preem, man. Sock preem's totally gotta worth it. Gotta get those like killer sock guy yeah. free socks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how else do you get socks? Yeah. 
Uh, moving on to stage five, what are our takes? Um, this was the Planche de Belfi stage. Uh, Fabio Aru nuked it with 2K to go. We saw Sky. We saw Froome. We saw um, a lot of BMC, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Hot take. Uh, you guys, what the heck is BMC doing? Yeah, you guys don't have the yellow jersey. Yeah. Um, you probably don't have the strongest team. But BMC just blasting at the front of the peloton going into Planche de Belfi and then hands it off to Team Sky. Here you go, guys. You're welcome. I did notice that once uh, Team Sky took over up to Planche de Belfi, didn't see a lot of BMC riders anywhere. Oh, that's weird. I wonder why that... uh, Mm. Weird. Um, Well, it could be, you know, in the past few tours, we've talked about how how Richie Port seems to like you know, helping Chris Froome out once in a while. Maybe he still kind of forgets that he's on a different team. That's true. He just sees the sky jerseys and it's just like knee-jerk reaction of like, yeah, yeah, I should pull now. Yeah, yeah. Or um, could be some Jedi mind tricks from uh, Dave Brailsford. Yeah. Uh, The cycling podcast, they were talking about how they saw Brailsford and Port talking intensely right before the stage. Uh, Maybe this is Brailsford's way of hitting back at the UCI because it sounds like they're going to reduce team sizes for Grand Tours next year. So Team Sky's like, hey, screw it. We're just going to have two teams. We're going to combine our forces with DMC and then we'll have twice as many riders as anyone else. Nine riders down to 18 riders, more like, or nine riders down to eight riders, more like 18 riders. Mm, Why not? Um, Yeah, either way. So Sky took over and then we saw Fabio Aru sprint away for the victory. Boy, did he look good. Um, My take is that um, you and me, we had bad takes when we were disparaging Kaylee Fretz for picking Aru to win the tour. Yeah, he seems to have. He knows something we don't. Hmm. We both kind of like laughed at Kaylee. He's got the inside line We're on. Kind of mean to him. Yeah. Sorry, Kaylee. Sorry. Eh, sorry, not sorry. I'm sorry, not sorry. Yeah, I'm real <laughs> sorry that Kaylee got his feelings hurt when we said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too bad he's such a snowflake. Did, yeah, he's really triggered. Um, can you believe this story, though, on Cycling News about how Fabio Aru apparently got a, some sort of nose surgery? Okay. And then that's the reason, I guess, that he's so fast all of a sudden. Uh, that makes sense. And, and you, know? It, you know, previously he was doing the, the Breathe Right Strip thing, yeah. which um, I guess you can still buy those. I thought that they they went away with the Lance Armstrong era, but maybe not. Um, so it, it, that story also said that, like, him getting this nose surgery or him having nose problems explained why he would make such bizarre grimaces and faces uh, prior to this operation. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's do a little bad radio here. Mm, okay, let's, uh, uh, I'm nope. looking at a photo right yeah, now. Fabio Aru, stage still, five. Yeah. Still has a weird face yeah, on. There he is. Um, but... Let's say let's say that we do like it when he grimaces like that. So no, keep up the good work. Don't don't go too hard on the nose surgery. We want to see that see that wide open. It's true. And maw. I liked seeing him attack. Way to go, Fabio Aru. Great win. And uh, uh, sorry, Jakob Fulsang. Yeah. Uh, don't think you're the tour leader anymore. He lost. No. He lost. Uh, how much did he lose? In a minute and seven. Yeah. To Aru on that climb, yeah, I don't think he's the co- he's solved, not the co-leader. That solved the mystery of who is actually the leader of Team Astana, and uh, gotta say a little bit of uh, sorry to our good friends from uh, Denmark because yeah. swimming in our Twitter mentions before the tour, they were saying, "Oh, oh how can you not call Jakob Fulsang an outright favorite? He's the Dauphiné champion." Yep. Eh, sorry, Lars. Dauphiné is not the tour. Yep. Sorry, Mikel. <laughs> um, 
What else do we have to say about stage five? Um, uh, Contador and Quintana off the back. Huh? Yeah, boy, Woo. Quintana, you know, when Froome accelerated, he made that move. He was in the group. And then he ducked out of there like that buddy, you know, when you're going to like bar number four of the night and he uh, doesn't want to say goodbye. Uh, the old Irish goodbye. That's what I do all the time, man. Qu- yeah, Quintana did the Irish goodbye. Sometimes he, you just want to go home. He ghosted out of that group. Uh, so apparently two grand tours in the year, you're not stronger in the second grand tour. Mm, yeah, the Tour de France, a little harder than the Vuelta, turns yeah. out. Yeah. Mm. Uh, moving on to stage six, um, Kittle wins the sprint. Yeah, this yeah. one was kind of a snoozy one. We'll say, though, a lot of um, irregular sprinting takes on Twitter. I think after this Sagan thing, everyone is now an expert on irregular sprinting. Gifts are gifts yeah. are all over the place. Just, People loving the gifts. Yeah, yeah. It's a great time to make a gif. Love you, the if chiming. If you want to get into gifts, now's the time. Cycling social media. Let's continue to call out irregular sprinting whenever you see it. Maybe if you're driving along the freeway. It hey, could, for Subaru Forester, that's irregular sprinting. It could, it could be like uh, what are the like the big championship golf matches now? Yeah. Uh, people can call in a tip line to say, yeah. oh, this guy didn't place his ball in the right place when he was chipping onto the green. Uh, maybe UCI could start a hotline for irregular oh. sprinting and be like, hey, fans, we need your help. Watch these sprints and tell us if the sprinting was irregular. This message is for Mr. Prudhomme. Mr. <laughs> Prudhomme, I would like to uh, call out Mr. Arnold DeMar for irregular sprinting. Oh, mm. That's pretty much all we would have to keep ourselves occupied on a boring sprint stage that's like stage true. six. But uh, oh, there was one bit of drama, though, right? What's that? There, we, we, there was an umbrella that just like got oh blown into the peloton. <laughs> we just got and breaking news on AFP story saying that Chris Froome was was scared. Oh, I was very frightened when the umbrella blew into the peloton like that. Well, what could we do for Mr. Froome to quell his fears, Spencer? Maybe we should just play him a nice little, uh, nice little song. All right, guys, I think that might be our wacky takes for the day. Spencer, let's get back to it. Let's get back to writing about bike racing. Back to you, Kaylee and Hoodie. (laughs) Those takes, Hoodie. Those takes were... uh... What do, garbage, you make of the, what do you make of those takes? <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> totally speechless. Uh, totally speechless. You know, I think they made a couple good points uh, about some things. Uh, what those things are, I'm not really sure. But, <laughs> but <laughs> keep going. Good job, guys. Uh, we will. We'll hear it. We'll hear from Spencer and Fred once again on Monday. Fred's you know, coming to the tour. Oh, that's right. We're oh, looking. Fred, we're looking Fred, forward right. to Fred's Fred, arrival. Fred arrives. Fred parachutes in on Monday, and I think we're gonna have one episode of the podcast with all three of us. Oh, most I'm looking likely. forward to that. Yeah, uh, and I'm we'll, like uh, and doing then, the schleck shoot. I'm out of here. And then and then <laughs> and then Hoodie is schleck shooting back off to Espana and it will be just Fred and I. We have a couple more things to chat about before we uh, before we cut it off today. Uh, we have our two diarists actually. Uh, so this is we, de- we definitely don't want to forget about these guys. So uh, George Bennett uh, you definitely remember George from winning the Tour of California this year. George mm, is a Kiwi. Huge win. Huge win. Huge win. Uh, he's actually had a pretty good Tour de France as well. Had a, had a pretty good ride on Planche de Belfi. You know, he's still a very young guy, kind of finding his GC feet, so to speak. Um, 
but had a great ride on Plus Belfi, and all, I think he lost about a minute, but he's still sort of up in the up in the running there, uh, doing a much better Tour de France than he's ever done in the past. These two guys, George Bennett and Nate Brown. So it's actually Nate Brown's birthday today. Oh, uh, well. I asked him to send me audio of the team singing him happy birthday, but he did not do that. Which makes me very sad. He did, however, send audio his usual diary. Uh, we send basically we send these guys a couple questions. They record themselves in their hotel rooms, send us over the uh, the dispatch, and we send it on to you guys. So let's listen into George Bennett first. Uh, I forgot to mention last time that we gave these guys uh, theme tunes. Didn't really explain this. We just sort of threw them in there. George's is some sort of uh, New Zealand Kiwi. I have I've literally never heard the song in my entire life, but he was very into it, and so we went with it. <laughs> it's kind of a weird song, uh, and then and then Nate Brown's is uh, he's he was born in well he was born in actually he's born in Colorado, but anyway raised in Tennessee, and so we chose a Tennessee themed theme song for him. So Nate Brown gets his Tennessee song and George Bennett gets his Kiwi song. Let's start with George. Uh, we asked him to explain some very interesting shoes that he has on and then just sort of provide us with an update on his Tour de France thus far. You know it feels so good evening or Good morning if you're in America, or good lunchtime if you're in Japan. You probably won't be listening to this if you are. Uh, George Bennett here, just reporting on the last few days of Le Tour de France. Um, not huge amounts to report, apart from it's been extremely unnecessarily long the last couple of days. Um, either way, we're uh, we're going to sprint, and we've done that. Uh, today was all right. We had a bit of stress for some wind and that actually just hurried things up so uh, everyone started stressing comes to the front and then just gets heaps of draft and I sort of uh, snivel behind them and finish in 90th which is a pretty good day for me I mean on stages the flat stages like that for a GC guy you can only lose and that's a strange strange thing for a bike race uh, but anyway we got through unharmed more or less um, we had a first uphill finish Ponche de Belfis and yeah, Aru just kind of made us all look stupid. Um, they, there's a lot of good guys at this bike race. Uh, it's almost like a different sport to other races. I mean, we came in and, uh, yeah, I was expecting I would be maybe pushing up in the top 10 and kicking around with those boys, but in the end I was 14th. And So that was, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, maybe not too bad for the first mountaintop finish, but I think everybody else thinks the same. And everyone that lost says, oh, yeah, but it's the first one, but... So we'll see. Um, heading into the mountains tomorrow, pretty excited about it. It's been a long time coming. And, um, yeah, maybe tomorrow we'll see what happens. Probably try and ride from the peloton, but on Sunday, if uh, if everything goes south tomorrow, then uh, we'll throw it all on the line. Or we'll wait till the Pyrenees. Uh, either way, we're going to have a bike race, and I think it's going to be a good one. So um, set your alarm clocks, and we'll see you on the road. Cheers. So I think George is, is definitely looking forward to this weekend. It's going to be a couple big uh, big climbing stages. And actually, Nate Brown, kind of looking forward to this weekend as well. He's very much playing a domestique role here at the Tour de France. He's working for Andrew Talansky and actually Rigoberto Uran. Had a great ride on Planche de Belfi. He's very much in the GC picture. I got a text message from Jonathan Vodders 
uh, pointing out slash reminding me to not ignore Rigo Uran. I think that he could be kind of a dark horse for a top five in this race at this point. Anyway, Nate Brown uh, filed his birthday diary with us, and we're going to start with Nate Brown's theme song, which is Jimmy Martin, Tennessee. Jimmy Martin. You have heard and read about the state of Tennessee. Nate Brown here, just checking in with all my Bella News peeps. Right now I'm hanging out in my hotel room. I'm actually looking out the window, checking out Chef Sean. He's cooking down there. He's got a lot of avocados. I'm hoping he's making guacamole. Also, it's my birthday, so I'm hoping he's baking a cake down there. I don't know, though. I can't see anything. Ah, We're a week into the tour now. It's been a tough first week. The weather's really been taking a toll on a lot of guys, especially me. I definitely feel the weather. My pistons are feeling a bit tired. But all in all, it's been a good first week in the tour. We've got a big weekend coming up, two big mountain days. I'm hoping I can sneak into a breakaway one day and maybe take back my KOM jersey from Mr. Aru. be a tall task, but I'm up for the challenge. Uh, what else is going on here at the tour? It's not much. Our days are kind of boring. We uh, we race, come back to the hotel, get a massage. Sometimes I watch some TV shows. I'm kind of out of TV shows at the moment, so if you guys have any ideas of good TV shows, hit me up. Uh, I brought a book, uh, Mind Over Body. It's a very interesting book, but right now my, my mind is kind of tired, so I haven't been reading much of it. Uh, yeah, you know, that's about it. Not much else is new. The hotel room is, you know, about normal, standard, pretty small. Andrew on my bed is about, you know, two feet apart, so we're going to be pretty close tonight. Yeah, that's about it. Nate Brown out. See you guys. Well, I think that's uh, that's about it for today. About time to call it. We will be back on Monday, which is the first rest day of the Tour de France. This will be a very different race by Monday, a very, very different race by Monday. Uh, we'll be headed toward the Pyrenees. Then that rest day, we got a big, long drive ahead of us to get over toward Bergerac and Poe and the rest of the Pyrenean towns, and it basically into the next the next part of the Tour de France, the next major section of the Tour de France. So, yeah, like I said uh, earlier, we will be coming to you, all three of us, myself, Andrew Hood, and Fred Dreyer, on Monday. Keep an eye out. Until then. Until then. You stay classy, San Diego. Oh, 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 oh,